Don't work. Let's try that again. Don't work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life. As we continue through the bread of life discourse from the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John, surely we're going to talk about food. But first, I think we need to talk about the eternal, because eternity's gotten a bad rap. Have you noticed? In normal parlance, at least, we hear the word and we use it for a really long time. And I don't know about you, but I'm at least partially to blame for that. I think, don't have to look any farther than down the street. Normally I bypass that intersection. You know what I'm talking about? The corner of court in Maine. But every once in a while I get stuck there. And I look at that light. I say, this light lasts an eternity. That's not what we're talking about. We're not just talking about a really long time. When we studied philosophy, our professor made us memorize Boethius's definition of eternity as the best. He said, Boethius says, eternity is the all at once and perfect possession of endless life all at once in perfect possession of endless life. The all at once in perfect possession of endless life. We'd march up and down the halls trying to get it to sink in because it was that important. I said, imagine emerging out of the waters into a tropical island of stunning beauty before you just can't see really anything and then entering into eternity. Or imagine coming out of the fog of a coma into the faces of those that you love. That perfect life kind of moment. But not just that perfect moment, but endless perfect moments. And not just an endless sequence, but the perfect possession of them. There's no end. There's no limitation. There's no sequence. It's all at once and perfect. Jesus, in saying we should work for the food that endures to eternal life, is not just food that has a really long shelf life. It's the food that helps us enter into that. This week, a a parishioner who lives way out in the middle of the woods lost his only companion, a dog of 13 years. And in a little Holy Spirit moment, I was brought to his door the very day of the dog's death and just moments after he finished burying him. And we got talking. First things first, he wanted to go to confession and be able to receive Holy Communion. But then we got talking about the dog and what he loved about the dog. And the answer is no surprise to anyone who, who loves dogs. Sadly, some people these days to like dogs even more than they like humans. But I think you can enter into some of the reasoning behind it, right? Because dogs don't have a sense of time. Remember, like, leaving the house and and returning to the dog's welcome. And they're like, you're back. It's so good to see you. You're back. Even if you just, like, forget your keys. You go out to the car and come back. You're back. How good. They have no sense of time. Almost a taste of the eternal. Dogs... Also, love whatever you feed them. 
in fact, they think it's the best thing that they've ever eaten. It's, it's dinner time. This is great. I'm so excited. And they enter into it. Dogs are also satisfied with their accomplishments. They smile when they catch the frisbee or the ball or whatever, and they drool all over the place. Reckless abandon. Because the dogs live in what I could call an eternal now. And propose that dog isn't a mirror of God just in the way it is spelled. Whereas we, on this side of eternity at least, we're always looking for what's next. Even when we achieve that incredible thing, it disappears like that and we're looking for the next one. That's the way it was with the Israelites, right? They achieved their freedom from Egypt. They passed through the Red Sea and then what? They cry out in the desert for hunger. They cry out for bread, and and they get it. And then they get bored with the bread. So they cry out for flesh, and they get it. And then they cry out because they're sick of both of them, and they get it too. The disciples as well in the Gospel, those 5,000 that last week we heard of the multiplication of the loaves and the fish, now they're hunting Jesus down. He had left them. And they're following him the following day. And Jesus says, you're looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. You were satisfied, at least for a moment. But they push back. They reference our first reading. They reference Exodus, saying, our ancestors ate manna in the desert. Implying, you know, that was an everyday sort of thing. Why can't you do this every day? Why can't you continue to fill our bellies? But Jesus says, don't settle. Don't settle for food that perishes. But for food that will endure for eternal life. Little side note, they were on to something there, right? Some people struggle with the teachings on the Eucharist and have no problem pointing out the the Israelites ate manna in the desert, Jesus doesn't take a step down from where the Israelites were. His miracle is at least as good as daily manna. We call it daily bread as we pray the Lord's Prayer, or translated otherwise, the super substantial bread. You see, this isn't dog food, it's God food. It's food that helps us enter into eternity. And next week we're going to hear all the more about how it is with Jesus' flesh and blood being true bread and true drink, that the bread and wine becomes his very body and blood. But for right now, I'd propose the message is don't settle. Your heart is made for something more. Enter into that eternal According to the statistics, there's at least some of you here that struggle with this teaching. That think that yeah, maybe the Eucharist is a good symbol of Jesus, but isn't actually his body and blood. And I'd give you, if that's the case for you personally or for the, the whole church, just three little tips. First of all, we have to examine ourselves. Just Monday, I was in the hospital, and some stranger came up to me, saw the collar, and felt compelled to wax on philosophically, and said, 
The unexamined life is not worth living. Socrates. That's weird. But yes, <laughs> that's true. And so we examine our lives. It's how we start every Mass, right? Brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins. And so prepare to celebrate the sacred mysteries. We do an examination. We, we come before our Lord. We say, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. But only say the word. And we go to confession. We make that the gift of his mercy available to us so that we can appreciate all the more what he gives to us in the Eucharist. Secondly, it's not just the workings of the soul, but the workings of the mind. We, we study it. If you haven't recently read all the way through the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John, you owe it to yourself. It's not that long. You can easily do it in one sitting. What is it right from the beginning? And then couple that with the, the catechism and what all the fathers of the church through the centuries have taught. This is food that will endure for eternal life. And then the third tip is look to the light. Some of you were here yesterday morning for Ed White's funeral. If so, you, you know that that beautiful sanctuary lamp of ours was something that he found that had been abandoned, left as useless. But he disassembled it, polished, cleaned and polished every part, reassembled it, hung it as a reminder, yes, of Jesus present here in the Blessed Sacrament. Every Catholic church has a sanctuary lamp, most not as beautiful as that. So we look to this, yes, but all the more we look to Ed. We look to all the holy ones who have gone before us. Yes, the great saints of the church that are canonized and the holy ones that live right in our midst, the ones who get it, the ones who know of what it is that the Lord wishes to bestow upon us. For he is the bread of life, the one who invites us to enter in to the all at once and perfect possession of endless life.